Welcome to At Home and Abroad with Harrison Walker. Join us each week as we follow our curiosity, diving deep into the familiar and the foreign. Reach beyond your front door as we uncover new perspectives, explore intriguing ideas, and have real conversations with the best guests. Ready for something different? Let's get started. Massimo Bottura is undoubtedly one of the world's top chefs and restaurateurs. He has been called the avant-garde master of Italian gastronomy. His restaurant, Osteria Francescana, with three Michelin stars in Modena, Italy, has taken the top spot on the world's 50 best restaurants list, not once, but twice. Osteria Francescana was even awarded a Michelin Green Start in 2020, which is awarded to restaurants who have proven to be leaders in the field of sustainable practices. It has been said that Chef Boutour walks a tightrope between innovation and heritage between the future and the past. Chef Boutour recounts his childhood kitchen memories cooking with his mother. He said, You had to get up early at 6.30 a.m. to start on the broth. Then we made the pasta and filled it with ham, parmesan, veal, pork, and a bit of mortadella. The influence of tradition on his revolutionary gastronomy is evident in his nostalgic approach to food. He says, The emotion of a kid that confronts his brother to who steals the crunchy part of the lasagna when the grandmother was bringing the lasagna in the middle of the table for Sunday lunch, you know, we were fighting over the crunchy part. So I want every single person who comes to Osteria to try and eat the crunchy part of the lasagna. So at the end, the inspiration, it's memory, it's culture, it's passion. But Chef Bottura's creations are not just inspired by Italian tradition. He understands the importance of ensuring that the food which is produced in his kitchen is a reflection of those who work for his restaurant as well. People who work for him come from all over the world. He says, I have to let them express themselves and tell me where they come from and who they are in an edible way. Well, that made me hungry. I know, me too. <laughs> He's an incredible guy, and not just for the food. Chef Batura and his wife also have worked with the Ot Ot Association on the Tortellante Project, which is an initiative where teens and adults on the autism spectrum are taught how to hand make tortellini while learning life skills at the same time. Wow, that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Food is such an integral part of our lives, Walker. I love that you have to introduce yourself to Chef Botura in an edible way. Come to think of it, I think I might introduce myself as lasagna, <laughs> right? You know, a little spicy, a little savory, lots of layers. And a bit cheesy too there. Oh my gosh. Okay, maybe I'll give you that. <laughs> but you're right. Food is so much more than just fuel to keep our bodies functioning. Definitely. Our individual histories and cultures are deeply rooted in the preparation and eating of certain foods. We associate dishes with our childhoods and important moments in our lives, celebrations, and even moments of sadness and grief. True. So what foods do you associate with your childhood? Well, mostly Velveeta cheese and Campbell's chicken noodle <laughs> soup. I was a true child of the 70s, Walker. What about you? I mentioned that in a past episode that my grandmother factors largely into my childhood food memories. She was a pierogi master. Mm, yummy. Mm -hmm. Before her luggage made it inside her house, we had usually already inhaled most of the food she'd brought. It probably took her hours to make all these little dumplings. And, you know, it only took a few moments for us to eat them. Yeah, but isn't that often the case with most great food? And it doesn't have to be complicated. Often simple rustic dishes are just made with a few ingredients. Oh, so true. Our connection with food runs deep and it doesn't have to be a meal or a milestone moment that brings those food memories to the forefront. I associated Pop Shop Soda. Do you know Pop Shop Soda? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, delish. With summers in St. John's, Newfoundland, hanging out with my cousins. Right. That reminds me of the red pistachios and Tahiti treat pop I loved growing up. Okay. That's a whole <laughs> lot of red food dye in one sitting walker. I know, right? But I'm not commenting on your orange food dye, Harris. Okay. Point taken. But why did we dye our pistachios red in the 70s? Oh, I know the answer to this. Apparently, okay. they were dyed red to make the shells more appealing. I guess the way of manufacturing them didn't make them as pretty as they are today. The red ones are more of a novelty today. You're a wealth of knowledge, Walker. So did you know that taste memories tend to be the strongest associative memories we can make? I did. We actually talked about this in our season one episode, Love Food Will Travel. Oh, right. But food associations are a serious thing. I have a friend who refuses to take sandwiches for lunch 
because they still have PTSD from the terrible sandwiches their mother used to send them to school with growing up. You know, a really thin piece of cheese, one piece of meat, and really bad white bread. Oh, it was probably bologna too. <laughs> My own hubby won't eat peanut butter anymore because he overdosed on really? PB&J as a kid. Yep. Can you imagine? I think peanut butter would be the one food I would choose <laughs> on a desert island. What would you choose? Peanut butter is a close runner-up to pizza and simple toast, three foods I could eat every single day. And in many cases, I think I probably did eat every day growing up. Mm -hmm. There is no doubt that we experience a strong psychological connection with our food. Unfortunately, though, not all of us have a healthy relationship with food, do we? No. Well, according to ACT Nutrition Support Services, we are more likely to have a healthy relationship with food as an adult if we had a good relationship with food when we were a kid. Makes sense. But we all know that many of us eat emotionally. Like my mom, for example, she stops eating when she's under intense stress. But me, I swing the opposite way. Well, it's a way of numbing ourselves, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Those two boxes of mini Halloween chocolate bars can take away all my troubles, at least for the moment. But then you have to reckon with the upset stomach and more afterward. Yeah, I've been there more than once. But more seriously, at its worst, an unhealthy food relationship can progress into food addiction or disordered eating. It can. According to a University of Michigan study, one in eight adult Americans exhibit signs of food addiction. Did you know that? No, that seems really high. I think I can probably guess, but what kinds of foods are we addicted to? According to the study, it's the sweets, salty snacks, sugary drinks, and fast food. Okay, of course, the tasty ones (laughs) and the most highly processed ones too. Yes, unfortunately. This food is engineered to appeal to us. In fact, according to neuroscientist Dr. Amy Reichelt, Highly processed foods give us a shot of dopamine. Well, no wonder we love them. Dopamine is that neurotransmitter that plays a role in pleasure, motivation, and learning. That seems like a really stacked playing field to me, Walker. So how do we manage our health through our nutrition if we're being sucked in by these very tempting and tasty, highly processed convenience foods? Well, it's tough. And it does unfairly impact people with tighter budgets and with less access to fresh whole foods. Mm -hmm. And it's a vicious cycle too. We eat to comfort ourselves in times of stress, but recent research conducted on mice at the Garvin Institute of Medical Research and UNSW Sydney showed that chronic stress combined with a high calorie diet can drive more and more food intake as well as preference for sweet, highly palatable food, thereby promoting weight gain and obesity. This research highlights how crucial a healthy diet is during times of stress. So we actually need to upgrade our nutrition in the tough times, not dig into more goodies to self-soothe. And this is not to mention the simple fact that when we are stressed out, we tend to be in a rush or short on time. I've been known to find myself in a drive through when I'm pushed for time and completely wigging out. Right. And these unhealthy foods are just easier to purchase and prepare as well. Mm -hmm. So all around, they just seem like a good choice when time or tempers are short. Right. But I have to say, after a recent trip to a few fast food joints while I was traveling, Mm. I'm not so sure how fast it is anymore. (laughs) Right. And definitely it's not nearly as affordable as it used to be. If I were to feed my family of five at McDonald's, it's upward of $75 Canadian, and I can do much better than that at the grocery store. Right. But healthy might sometimes mean wealthy, Harris. Mm. Fruits and veggies are not cheap, especially these days. Right. But if we can eat a healthier, less processed diet, wouldn't that be so wonderful? I have a lot of craft dinner in my history to make up for, Walker. (laughs) And I'm starting to realize now as we're chatting that I didn't have the healthiest of diets when I was a kid. There you go. You said it. The D word. Oh, the D word. Yeah. It's a bit of a bad word these days, isn't it? But I'm meaning diet in general terms, like what we eat to sustain ourselves, not diet in the restrictive sense, like to lose weight. And I actually think a lot of the unhealthy relationships we have with food is intricately involved with dieting and the diet industry. How many times do we treat ourselves with food after being good with our diet or even deny ourselves food as a sort of punishment? The Lindner Center of Hope, which treats eating disorders, among other mental health illnesses, says that chronic dieting is linked to guilt and self-blame, irritability, anxiety and depression, difficulty concentrating, and fatigue. And of course, self-esteem is decreased by never-ending feelings of failure when we mess up our diet again. According to the National Association of Anorexia Nervosa and Associated Disorder, there's not only a terrible human cost, but an economic cost too to the high number of eating disorders in the West. Which is... $64.7 billion every year. Wow. 
Wow is right. People who suffer from disordered eating are more likely to have a parent with an eating disorder, and many have also experienced uh, past trauma. Not surprising. Yeah. And it all stings even more when we know that the diet or weight loss industry is making money hand over fist. They are. According to the Kendall Reagan Nutrition Center, the diet industry in America has a net worth of around $72.6 billion. It's a big money game, isn't it? It sure is. And when you consider that approximately 45 million Americans diet annually, that's a massive market. Well, lucky for us, we have Jill Coville Reeves with us today to help us understand what and how we eat factors into our overall health and wellness. Joe is a certified nutritionist, whole food chef, and a founder of The Brit Beat, a practice that demonstrates how we can harness the nutritional power of food. Welcome to At Home and Abroad, Joe. Oh, thank you, Lauren. I'm really excited to be here with you. We're excited to have you here as well. So, Joe, I have to ask you, have you always been a healthy eater? Oh, gosh. Unfortunately, no. I have to start off by saying I've always had a passion for food, uh, cooking, and a, and a love of health, which I can trace back uh, to the halcyon days I spent as a child at my grandparents' farm in Wales in the UK. I used to love going up there because my grandparents were doing everything organic. You know, they used to collect honey from their beehives and they had a lovely vegetable patch. And I used to love helping them pick herbs and veggies and Somehow my gran would make that into the most incredible sort of culinary masterpieces. And um, I just honestly found it like a little piece of paradise being up there. And that, I think that really just left such a lasting impression on this, that then very small Brit beat. I was going to say, it sounds very inspirational, very yeah. storybookish. Yeah, yeah. And ahead of their time when you're talking about the organic. Yeah, I think so. It was in the countryside, so they didn't have access to many grocery stores. So they really did a lot of fending for themselves. And, you know, they, they were very happy up there. And, you know, we just loved, we just loved going up there. So unfortunately, though, however, when I was uh, at the tender age of seven, we were living in Malaysia and I had to be shipped off to uh, boarding school because oh. um, my father's in the Royal Navy and that's just what happened. So that sort of started me on a, on a road to really sort of eating badly, think sort of everything white bread, you know, treacle tarts, mushy tin peas, you know, um, you know, I, I, I just ended up with sort of like chronic constipation and candida and I had low anemia and, you know, my grades really suffered and right. it was really, I just really felt dragged out. But being at home when I was in the holidays, things really sort of, ticked up for me because my mom um, was really good at preparing lovely fresh foods and vegetables, probably something she learned from her parents. Right. And I just felt so much more alive and, and healthier. It was a good opportunity to reset then. 100% it was. Yeah. Um, but, you know, school holidays are only so long. <laughs> exactly. I was catapulted back into the world of boarding school and all that unfortunately unhealthy food. So it was definitely a mixed bag. Um, when I graduated from school, I was uh, I really loved all things food and cooking, and so I decided to enroll in in the field of catering hospitality and trained as a chef in the classical French style of cuisine. However, that kind of resulted in me eating a lot more of those dairy foods, very rich and sugary desserts, and you know we're, we're talking things like. My personal favorite at the time was duck à l'orange. And I was apt to eat quite a few pork pies at the time too. So, you know, that's where we were at. And as you can probably guess, this doubling down took my health down a really bad path. Um, and I, I really didn't understand it at the time. I, I was just eating, you know, what everybody else was eating. But then my life took a, a fortuitous turn when I finished a job as a chef in France and I decided to take off backpacking around the world. And that's when I met my, my husband and I moved to Toronto, this beautiful city. I was sort of catapulted into a job because his family owned and operated the Toronto Athletic Club. And since I didn't have a, a job at the time, having just recently arrived, I started at the club in sales. And it was a really exciting time being with the members and feeling all the energy. 
But over the over the eight years that we operated the club, I I saw a pattern emerge, and that was members struggling, uh, falling short of their health goals. And I used to hear about it all the time because my office was at the top of the stairs leading down to the fitness department. So they used to stop by and have a little chat with me. But at this point, I only had, you know, layman's uh, knowledge of nutrition. But, you know, after those eight years, I was really starting to connect the dots and understanding that fitness alone simply wasn't enough to move the needle of health and that the, the piece that they were missing was the nutrition. So that really was my aha moment. And that's when I went back to school and became a certified nutritionist. And so now I have the pleasure of helping my lovely clients transform their health, um, combining my culinary and my nutrition knowledge and experience. So your philosophy closely echoes that of Hippocrates, which is let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. Can you tell us how this can be interpreted through the way we choose our foods? Yeah, absolutely. Understanding which foods have a potentially harmful or healing effect on our bodies. Um, from there, we can really learn to make healthier food choices that will obviously positively impact our lives. And this is where whole foods um, come into play. Whole foods are basically foods that are as close to their natural state as possible. They're unprocessed, they're unrefined, they don't contain artificial or synthetic or irradiated properties, and they're obviously abundant with fiber and minerals and vitamins and contain a whole host of anti-inflammatory properties. And research has consistently shown that they reduce our risk of chronic disease and at the same time boost our immune system. So they are pretty amazing. Yeah, I'm glad you talked about what whole foods are because not everybody knows exactly what is considered processed, what's highly processed, yeah. what's whole, you know, mm-hmm. there, and there's so many diets out there all claiming to offer us optimum health and so much information. How do we source reliable information about nutrition? It's so complicated. And if you're anything like me, you've probably been down that Google rabbit hole a few times <laughs> looking for information on, on, on other topics. Exactly. Um, and it's, you know, it is conflicting. And worst of all, a lot of the nutrition um, that you'll read online is pushed by people who are not trained um, in their field of expertise. Right. So I think the best recommendation I can give is, you know, as with any profession, it makes the most sense to consult a trained expert. And in the field of nutrition, that would be a registered or um, certified nutritional practitioner. But having said that, not everybody has access to that and or can afford that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I I like to recommend uh, uh, another source and that would be just to check out Canada's food guide. Okay. uh, For some very healthy tips and tricks. And interestingly enough, the food guide was actually revised in 2019 and is significantly more appealing, much more nutritious, with half of the plate being fruits and vegetables and the other half, the whole grains and those clean proteins. Yeah, it has changed quite a bit since the 70s. I remember looking at the pyramid. Yeah. Just a bit, just a bit long, yeah. yes, yeah. Yeah, that food pyramid, I think like white bread was a major category, which <laughs> yeah. I don't think it is anymore. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think you'll not see that so much on there now, Heather, yeah. <laughs> so are there superfoods, Joe, that we should gravitate to when we're at the grocery store? Yes, I, I love that you asked that question, um, most definitely. And I just wanted to back up and, and sort of explain for, for listeners who aren't, aren't familiar with the word superfoods. They're foods that are especially like over and above high in nutrition, and they actually contain very few calories. Now, calories is not something as a nutritionist I talk about very much, mm-hmm. but it is interesting to some people to actually know about that. Right. How about if I just give you like my top easy to shop for superfoods and a quick little prep guide? Would that be helpful? That would be fantastic. Okay, amazing. So um, my first shout out would be to the cruciferous vegetables. Uh, Let's think, you know, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, collard greens, and actually a kale is in, in there too, which is actually part of the cabbage family, interestingly enough. Oh, yeah, you know, top of, of everything I've already said, you know, vitamins and minerals, etc. They also contain 
a master antioxidant that is very, very helpful in in preventing cancer and reducing cell damage in, in liver disease. So they're, they're really important to include in the diet. And they also contain, as I think we, we do know, those of us who cook them, they, they have, have that rather stinky sulfuric compound. Yeah. Um, but that's so important because that helps us detoxify the toxic substances that we are bombarded with each day. Right. Whether we're eating them or inhaling yes. them or putting them exactly. on our skin. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All of the above, Heather. So they're really like one of the top foods that I, I recommend to clients because they, they really do have a powerful effect. And if you want to eat them and keep that sort of stinky smell out of the kitchen, just know to lightly cook them, lightly steam, lightly blanch. And, you know, it really helps with that with okay. that, with the, with the stink effect. What about eating them raw? Does that make a difference? Does it work against the properties of the yes. vegetable? Um, eating them raw, you won't um, have so much of that sulfuric smelly effect, but eating them raw, you can do, but some of them have to be, have like a special way of, of, of prepping. For example, I think one of my favorites is the dinosaur or lacin, lacinato kale, and that is fantastic. And to really get in and u- utilize all the properties of that kale, you have to massage it. You have to get in there with a little EVO, a little lemon juice. It just loves a day at the spa. You know, you get in there and give it a good old massage. And what that does, it breaks down some of those fibrous leaves. And I can't tell you how many of my clients have said to me, oh my gosh, Joe, I, I, I've, I've been eating this tough, chewy kale because I know it's good for me, but it's been so disgusting. And when they hear about the massaging, <laughs> they're like, oh, sign me up. So it's, it radically it's, changes it. It really, it does. really does. Yeah. It I'm a does. believer. I'm a believer. Yeah, okay. Does. So cruciferous vegetables, check. Check on that. So I can't go on without mentioning berries. I mean, that's sort of like one of my top go-tos for clients. And, you know, apart from being absolutely delicious, they, they contain those very rich, dark colors. And that's kind of a reminder to us when we see those, that they contain those powerful antioxidants. So it's a, right. it's a good visual for us. You know, I'm talking like everything, blueberries, strawberries, raspberries, blackberries, blueberries, and actually a special shout out to blueberries because they consistently are on the, the top spot amongst fruits with the highest amount of antioxidants. So do you uh, recommend that you purchase them organically raised or is it okay just to get the regular grocery store brand and just make sure you give them Mm -hmm. a good wash? I mean, that depends on your pocketbook, I think, a lot of the time. But wild blueberries are definitely a way to go. You can, you can, you know, as long as you give them a good wash, you know, you can throw them in a, a smoothie or eat them raw, you know, just by themselves or sprinkle on top of yogurt or a porridge. You know, they just have so many applications. I also say to clients, like, don't be afraid to buy the frozen berries because, they're, you know, they're picked at the height of their freshness. Yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah. And they can sometimes be fresher than the ones that have been sitting on the grocery shelves. Absolutely. Yeah. You don't have to worry about them going off. No, you can just have them in your freezer. And I personally use those a lot in my smoothie, you know, so that's number two. Number two. Yeah. So um, fermented foods, I know it sounds a little crazy, but these are my favorite. These are are my absolute favorite. Yes. Oh, incredible. Well, you know, we, I think it's, it's important to, to realize how many of these foods have been like major sources of nourishment around the world for for millennia. So it's a great group of foods to bring in. And I'm I'm not just talking yogurt, I'm talking sauerkraut and kimchi and kefir and miso and olives and actually best of all chocolate because it's made from fermented cacao beans. Oh, you're kidding. I never yeah. ever would have thought chocolate mm-hmm. was a fermented food. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, the, I the reason I'm I'm recommending these is because they're so rich in probiotics and probiotics are those those good bacteria that boost our immune system and since 80 percent of the immune system is housed in our gut eating those probiotic rich foods is is such a smart way to go Mm -hmm. just to keep everything in balance yeah heather and and you know keep our immune system robust so they definitely make the list for sure Okay, good to know. 
have two more to to okay to give it to me up. joe give yeah. it to me i'm making notes right now okay fantastic well the next is you know probably something we eat a lot but probably not a wide variety it's just the humble salad green and mm. you know we we can just we can you know I know if you're anything like me, sometimes I, I don't push myself to go away from, say, arugula. But, you know, there's so many out there. Romaine, Boston, bib, dandelion greens, mustard greens, spinach. You know, we, we need to, to really incorporate as many as we can and have a great variety. Why is that, Joe? What are they particularly good at? They're particularly good because uh, they are rich in two very important vitamins, vitamin A and E. And these are obviously the significant vitamins for um, combating cancer. I really encourage everybody to try a different lettuce. You know, if you haven't ever tried bib, give it a go. And if you haven't tried dandelion greens, a little bitter, but, you know, you can just have a little bit and, and you know, really sort of spike up your salad and mm -hmm. make it interesting. And, mm -hmm. and, and you could always throw them in um, soups stews oh, if yeah. you're you know all it doesn't have to be a salad right you could throw doesn't. them in all kinds yeah. of things even your smoothies if you're up absolutely that. yes right. that's um absolutely right Heather there's so many again so many applications mm -hmm. well my last one is a food that maybe not so many people in our culture maybe in the in other cultures are more used to using but that's Neptune's bounty it's it's basically seaweeds Oh, and, right. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I'm talking sort of kelp and nori and wakami and dulse. Um, they have truly extraordinary levels of phytonutrients. And phyto, if you've ever wondered what that means, that's that means plants. So they have that very high level of plant nutrients. And in particular, and this is the reason that makes makes the top five list for me, is that they, they have... Um, iodine in them which is lacking in almost every other food okay interesting yeah iodine's really critical for um a healthy thyroid function so it really helps regulate and keep our hormones balanced and i think we can all say that since hormones are an important part of any stage of life um see vegetables. certainly my stage of life <laughs> 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 they're making themselves known shall we say yeah <laughs> oh, you need to rush out and get some of those seaweeds. I think so. Yeah, I was yeah. actually going to ask you, where do you source seaweed? Is it yeah. always in those packets dried in sort of a, those wafer-thin layers? Is it, does it Not, always come that way? or Usually dried, yes. Okay. And, and then you can soak them and prep them from there. But I think for people starting off who are not familiar with that, the best introduction is to look for those um, sheets because mm -hmm. you can tear them off, you can crunch them up and put them on top of soups, you can you know, munch them by themselves. One brand that I really like is Sea Snack. And you see okay. those as you're talking, you, you were talking yeah. about those, Heather, in the packages. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in my, in my experience with um, kids and, you know, adult clients alike, they really love them. I mean, yeah. you know, they're so fun to eat and tasty. So that's a really good way to get into sea vegetables. And then as you, you feel more comfortable with them, then you can sort of branch out into the others, which, you know, will, will come naturally. We'll have to that. come and talk to you about how to branch out from there. <laughs> no problem. Okay. okay. But we don't really like to branch out much, no. do we? We get stuck in... in the sort of same familiar patterns of eating. We don't really yeah. like change. So are there ways that we could adapt the meals that we are accustomed to, those comfort meals like macaroni and cheese mm -hmm. or pizza, to be healthier and to pack more of these kinds of nutrients into them? Absolutely, Heather. That is such an excellent question, actually. Um, and one I get asked a lot because people bet. are looking you know, to, to boost the way they eat and get more nutrition. So um, the way I like to advise is to say, you know, think of it in terms of good, better and best options. Okay. And then there's a choice for everybody and for everybody's pocketbook. What I'd like to start with, if I may, is the good option. And you mentioned mac and cheese, Heather. So let's go with that. Instead of using white pasta that gives us zero nutrition and steals from our piggy bank of stored nutrients and vitamins in order to break it down. In fact, we're talking a double whammy. Sub in 
you know, a whole grain pasta. I mean, you don't have to stick with whole wheat. There's so many fun and different options out there now. We've got brown rice, we've got quinoa, we've got soba. I mean, there's the shelves are full of different types. So mm-hmm. that way, if you if you if you do sub in, then you're going to get that extra boost of fiber, and that fiber is going to keep you fuller, stop you eating, you know, that snack later at night, maybe. And, you know, it's really good to help detoxify and keep the bowels moving. So fiber is so, so important. So just by doing that one simple thing, that one simple sub in, you know, you've already gone in down the path of, of mm-hmm. better food choices. And yeah, better you've already transformed that dish. You've already transformed it. With that one change. Okay. With that one change. Exactly. And then if you want to keep transforming, it's just a simple step. Instead of using that powered flavored cheese that they tend to put in the packages, just use the real cheese and break that in yourself. I mean, it's, it's, it's not rocket science, but that again will keep you away from a process option and putting you more into a, a fresh natural food option. That just seems like common sense because that cheese in that packet does not look like food to me. I agree, Heather. Yes, it's, it's far from food. It's yes, far, far from-, from food. Well, well said. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. So then I would say if you want to level up to a better option, whilst that whole grain pasta is cooking, steam or um, roast a big helping of those cruciferous vegetables. Mm. with all their disease-fighting properties. And then you can, on the side, toss together, you know, a really healthy leafy green salad using those beautiful salads we talked about with their um, cancer-fighting properties. And Mm -hmm. add in, you know, a lot of those other rainbow-color vegetables. You can add in your red and orange peppers. You can add in some healthy fats like avocado, cucumbers, peppers. And whenever I'm making a salad, I always try to add in as much nutrition as I can. And I usually end up putting a lot of nuts on the top. And yes. if I, yeah, I and one love of my, nuts on my salad. Yeah, mm-hmm. They are delicious. And they, they mm-hmm. add that wonderful textural element to a salad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love, 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 love walnuts. Um, yes, I've heard that they have l- remarkable properties. Like they're mm-hmm. the king or queen of all nuts yeah <laughs> is that right it is it is they are pretty um exceptional because they you know studies have shown consistently that they can actually slow the process of brain aging they wow. support mental health and they actually help in reducing the risk of neurodegenerative diseases so i don't know if you've noticed that little walnut does look like a brain and yes all that that those incredible properties aren't bad for a tiny little nut that you can just add onto your salad yeah pretty amazing i'm glad i have a big bag in my cupboard right now now if we're gonna look at the the very best option we would do the what i've spoken with and then we would just switch everything up to organic ingredients okay okay so ideally if we can source organic ingredients that would be that's our ultimate goal. And why is that? Why is that, Joe? Yeah, really good question. I mean, there's, there's some controversy around this. And obviously, organic is, is more expensive when you buy it in the grocery stores. But again, studies have shown that it, um, food that has been organically grown is um, or contains, I should say, high amounts of vitamin C, magnesium, uh, phosphorus, and iron. So those are all nutrients that are vital for the healthy functioning of our bodies. And I can't forget to mention that certified organic farming avoids the use of of most of those synthetic pesticides. So each time we buy and and consume these organic foods, we're choosing to leave off chemicals from our plates. And that is actually lowering our toxic load in general. So it's going to help us keep on that healthy route. And it even takes away the toxic load we're, we're inflicting on our environment as well. I was going to say it's super healthy for the planet too. Or yeah. Organic farming really focuses on preserving the soil for our future generations. And, you know, they do it in a way that sustains the nutrients in the soil. And, and you know, that's just a really good thing. It's, I think it's, if we can support, I think that's wonderful. I know it's not in everybody's 
budget to do that. But right. if you can, if you can add a few organic ingredients from time to time, that would be wonderful. And there are sites that you can um, look up that will actually give you sort of the the chemical load of each fruit. Um, the Environmental Working Group is one that I source often, oh, okay. and they update their findings and they will give you sort of like the top 10 most highly pesticide affected fruits and vegetables and so mm. you know that's another good source to to look at so if you actually only have a little little budget for organics check out that check out okay that we'll put board. that in our um mm-hmm. our show notes so Perfect. that our listeners can can reference that so if you had one piece of advice maybe aside from <laughs> including organics in our diet that we could all implement mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would it be that would have the most positive impact on our health? Right. Um, Heather, that is a very difficult question, but it I, is. I'm going to have to. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to answer it in part A and part B. Okay. Um, fair enough. Yeah. Part two pieces a, of advice. Two pieces making one. They, they work synergistically. Okay. Um, the two pieces of advice I would give is is look for ways to cut down in your daily sugar intake. Um, I really can't stress this enough. There is not one part of the body that is not affected negatively by sugar consumption, and I that is why the World Health Organization, which is the largest health body in the world has made a recommendation of a daily sugar allowance of five to 10 teaspoons of sugar per day per person. So if you're kind of thinking, well, you know, how do I figure that out? It's important to have this in your tool bag. One teaspoon of sugar is equal to four grams. Okay. So if you think about it in terms of, let's say, a pop, which is very, a, a can of pop, which is very high in sugar, a large can will contain anywhere, anywhere up to 28 grams of sugar or seven teaspoons, you've just had three quarters of the WHO's, World Health Organization's daily recommended sugar intake, and you haven't eaten anything. And that's all empty calories too. I think knowing that has been very useful for clients. They can can become um, more confident when shopping. They can start to look at labels and figure things out for themselves. So that would, that would, be one part of my recommendation the other part is of course flip that and start bringing in all the foods that we've just talked about that as many as you can on a daily basis I know that's hard to do but start start slow and just incorporate them in as many meals as you can so that you're you're basically have the yin the yin and the yang you're you're able to to um, look to all those foods to bringing that healing effect that you're looking for, for, for leading a much more healthier life. Does, does that make mm. sense? Absolutely. It's really, you're really speaking of focusing on the quality of mm-hmm. food that we are putting in our bodies because it translates directly into yes. our, our health. Exactly. Well, Joe, you have given us so much today to think about, to act upon. We're really, really grateful that, that you're here with us today. You may follow Joe on Instagram at, at the Brit Beat or on her website at www.thebritbeat.com for inspiring recipes. And I know because I've personally tried a few and nutrition tips. Thanks oh. again, Joe. Thanks, Heather. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and Lauren today. Sometimes a complete overhaul of one's diet is needed and stat. A diagnosis of diabetes and many other diseases can demand drastic change, but I really love Joe's incremental approach to improving our nutrition. It just seems so much more manageable. As she says, even the smallest changes over time can make a difference to our overall improved health, and one small change leads to another, right? Right, like adding fermented food to help our gut bacteria. I had no idea, though, that chocolate could count as a fermented food makes me love it even more. I know, me too. (laughs) And there's so much more to learn about the gut still. Some are calling it our second brain. Did you know that? Isn't that crazy? Apparently the gut keeps things moving without direction from the brain. It's called the ENS or enteric nervous system. 
It is even thought that it contains more neurons and even evolved before the central nervous system. Wow, that's cool. So we really need to be paying attention and keeping our guts happy. And definitely processed foods are not a winner in that regard. But even the most savvy shoppers can be tricked by advertising language on the packaging. Processed food packaging often sells itself as a healthy alternative. I know, like a healthy alternative to what? Apples? I know, right? (laughs) There are food labels which do outline the nutritional content of a product, but these still have a long way to go. We're all better off if we stick to the perimeter of the grocery store where the fresh food lives and never venture into the center aisles. Yeah, I've heard that too. That's where all the highly processed foods are. Unfortunately, with the rising cost of foods, fresh fruit and vegetables are becoming increasingly expensive, and there is more of an incentive than ever before to purchase the high-processed foods with longer shelf life, like box mac and cheese, crackers, and cookies, in the hope of stretching our grocery store dollar. Yeah, and yet this is all happening at a time when we know more than ever before that there is a correlation between healthy food and our longevity, and eating processed foods will not lead to longer life. In fact, quite the opposite. A study in JAMA Internal Medicine, which was also reported in the New York Times, tracked diet and health over eight years in more than 44,000 French men and women. About 29% of their energy intake was comprised of ultra-processed foods. Things like instant noodles and soups, breakfast cereals, energy bars and drinks, chicken nuggets, you know, that kind of thing. And what happened? Overall, the study found that for every 10% increase in ultra-processed food consumption, there was a 14% increase in the risk of death. The authors of this study suggested too that high temperature processing itself may form contaminants, the additives may be carcinogenic, and the packaging of prepared foods could also lead to contamination. So it's a triple threat. Okay, so what do we do to promote longevity and good health? Well, there aren't too many people out there who haven't yet heard of the Blue Zones Walker, right? This is the term coined by New York Times bestselling author Dan Buettner, who discovered five regions in the world, the Blue Zones, where people are living the longest lives, people over 100 years old and older living healthily. Buettner has studied the diets in these zones as well as other aspects of their lifestyles to determine what factors set them apart from other parts of the world. And as you can well imagine, one very important factor is diet. I've read all about this. So the Japanese purple sweet potato reigned supreme, didn't it? It certainly did. Buettner found that the people of Okinawa, Japan, a known blue zone, ate a lot of Okinawan emo, which is supposedly a cousin of the yellow-orange sweet potato. This purple potato is very healthy. It does not cause blood sugar to spike, and it contains antioxidants. I love me some sweet potatoes. (laughs) (laughs) Good to know, Walker. But a purple potato is not a magic pill. Sorry to say. These Okinawans also follow the 80% rule. Okay, which is? They don't overeat. I fear this is where so many North Americans fail. Mm -hmm, Me too. The Okinawans pre-plate their food and they stop eating when they're 80% full, even if it means leaving food on the plate. So we were always taught to clean our plates. That would take some major deconditioning for me, Harris. I know, me too. And they also have a saying or a mantra, which they repeat before eating. And apparently this has been a tradition for over 2,500 years. The mantra goes like this, hara hachi boo. Apparently it's a reminder to help them not overeat and to only eat until they're 80% full. Incredible. So no one walks away feeling bloated and uncomfortable. Nope. And also there are other interesting cultural values which are present such as an emphasis on experiencing a strong sense of community and a sense of purpose for the seniors in that community. Well, that is something special. A sense of purpose in our own supportive tribe is so critical, no matter what our age. Mm -hmm. So where are the other blue zones? Nuoro province in Sardinia, Italy, the Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica, Icaria, Greece, and Loma Linda, California. Interestingly, in Acaria, Buettner notes that there is one-fifth the rate of dementia, and they live on average eight years longer than in the States. Right. They drink special teas, rosemary tea, oregano tea, and sage tea, and are always walking uphill, Mm. from what I hear. Buettner also observed that these people experience the beauty of doing nothing. It's chilling, Greece. It is. Very laid back. (laughs) We need more of that, Walker. We do. Apparently, Singapore is a new blue zone. Did you know that, Harris? I did, actually. Buettner refers to it as a manufactured blue zone. The Singaporeans have made some changes to promote health and longevity. 
They encourage healthy eating through subsidizing healthy foods. Mm. They promote walking. And they even tax unhealthy food and driving the car. You can also get a little tax break if your elderly parents live with you or near you. Butner states that Singapore residents now have the longest, healthiest life expectancy in the world. If we follow the recipe of longevity as Butner lays out, we too could live to a healthy old age. He actually claims that if you were a 20-year-old male and you moved to a blue zone diet, which is a whole food plant-based diet, you could live up to 13 years longer. Wow. And it's never too late to improve our diets and our overall lifestyle. He says that if you are 60 years old and you move to a Blue Zones diet, you can add six years to your life. And if you're 80, three years. That's pretty impressive. He is a big proponent of all whole fresh food, but he really loves his legumes, doesn't he? (laughs) He does. (laughs) And nuts. He says that if you eat a cup of beans a day, you can add three to four years to your life. Mm. But the benefits extend far beyond the healthy seniors. Apparently, the kids in blue zones have lower rates of depression and anxiety as well. They're more resilient and have a stronger sense of self-esteem. Well, that's pretty interesting on the coattails of our last episode resilient, we learned that social connection is so critically important to resilience. One characteristic of the Blue Zones is a strong social connection, as we mentioned. Butner says that one of the best things we can do to live a long and healthy life is to have three friends you can lean on during bad times. When he was in conversation with Jay Shetty, he also suggested that adding a few vegetarian or vegan friends to your posse would be great because they could be good influences on your nutrition. Ha! So one thing that we've left out of this healthy living combo is exercise. Mm. Sitting is the new smoking. Isn't that a recent tagline out there? Mm-hmm. In North America, we are as obsessed with exercise as we are food. Yeah. Do we work out? What kind of workout do we do? Mm. What gym do we go to? Do we go to any gym? It's endless. Dan Butner believes that exercise has been a public health failure. Apparently, less than 20% of people in the U.S. get enough exercise and that 70% are obese or overweight. Are these stats related? I would think yes. Mm -hmm. In some blue zones, fewer than 1% of the people were ever obese, but nor are they preoccupied with exercise like we are. They just have active lifestyles and get their workouts in throughout the natural course of the day, gardening, walking to visit friends and family, And they don't have so many of the conveniences that we have in North America, like service for hire. Like the leaf blower. Just rake your leaves, people. Right? (laughs) I hate leaf blowers. So food as it relates to our health and longevity is an evergreen topic. We can talk about how food production and eating patterns relate to climate change or weigh the pros and cons of the latest fad diet or the cost of food. But I've always been intrigued by food as medicine. Mm -hmm. I am so fascinated by this too. And by what Joe says, we can really eat to prevent disease in our bodies. I also am curious as to how our eating will change and adapt over the next few decades. There's a lot of talk about eating insects right now. You can even buy cricket flour at the grocery store. Come on. I'm not ready for that, I don't think. Well, we might have to start adapting to new realities. The United Nations expects that by 2050, there will be a need to feed 9.7 billion people globally. That's a lot more than there are now. You got that right. And not surprisingly, it is predicted that current food production will not be sufficient to feed the world population. Food production will need to increase by 70%. So enter the crickets. 70%. Is that even doable? Well, it's iffy. According to Iberdrola, a global renewable energy company, this wouldn't be as much of a concern if it were not for the fact that our resources are increasingly limited and the environmental impact of the food industry becomes increasingly more difficult. In response to this crisis, the World Wildlife Federation and NOR, one of the world's largest food brands, produced the Future 50 Foods Report. This is a collection of diverse plant-based foods from around the world that can boost the nutritional value of our meals while reducing the environmental impact of our food supply. In addition to cereals and grains, fruits and veg, they also include seeds, pulses, cactus, roots and tubers, as well as seaweed and mushrooms. No insects of note? Well, according to an article by Vasambal Manikam, The Future of Food, What We Will Be Eating in 20 Years, insects were included in that article's top five high-protein ingredients. Entomophagy is already commonplace in many countries such as Mexico and Thailand, to name a few. Crickets, grasshoppers, and mealworms are high-protein food options 
that can not only help to lower the levels of malnutrition in some areas, but they can also lower the environmental effects that our meat-based diet has had in the West. And yet, tragically, according to the journal Biological Conservation, insects are disappearing faster than other living beings. Eight times faster, Walker. That's concerning. Mm -hmm. Not only because we are supposedly looking to insects as a source of food, but also because they play such an important role in creating our food. I know. 40% of all species are going to be at risk of becoming extinct in the next few decades. This is not good, Harris. Not good at all. Insects are incredibly important for pollination, right? For crops. They also clean and fertilize the soil, and they are even important economically in many regions. So we have to protect these little buggies, even as we begin to incorporate them into our diets, like in Switzerland. Switzerland? Well, it's not all skiing and chocolate like you might think. (laughs) Mealworms are already being used to make falafel-like bug burgers in Switzerland by a company called Ascento. Uh, yum. Don't knock it yet, Walker. (laughs) Their website says they are making insects delicious. One of their insect snacks is roasted crickets that have a slightly smoky, self-developed paprika spice mixture. That Mm. sounds tasty, Mm. right? Essento breeds the insects themselves for these nutritious and delicious vitamin and protein packed goodies too. They discourage eating wild insects. Aside from insects though, it seems the food of the future lies in more and hopefully healthier plant-based meat substitutes, lab-grown meat, allergen-free nuts, and algae. Now, didn't algae come up as a textile in our recent Fashion Forward episode? Yeah, it did, but it's really good for you too. Algae and fungi. I don't think you can go wrong with those. There's a company called Terramino Foods in San Francisco, which is growing fungi to make faux salmon burgers, which incorporate algae too. It's the best of both worlds. And of course, you avoid the issues of eating fish and the many toxins and microplastics they sadly are subjected to, right? Yeah, you got it. These replica salmon burgers would not contain mercury, and it could also help with the global overfishing problem. I think we've just scratched the surface on this issue, Harris. Mm-hmm. Now, what are we going to have for lunch? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us at At Home and Abroad with your host, Harrison Walker. If you enjoyed this episode, you would be a real gem if you would rate and review our show. It helps us to grow and expand our reach. You can also subscribe to follow us each week as we continue the conversation. Find us on Instagram at at Harrison Walker or visit us at www.homeandabroadpodcast.com. We have great merch, just saying. And of course, we would love to hear from you. And for you truly dedicated fans who have listened all the way to the end of this episode, we offer exclusive interviews, outtakes, challenges, and more on our paid channel. Not even the cost of a latte once a month, depending, of course, on where you buy your coffee.